This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Good morning, Equalizer Extra subscribers. It's time for another episode of the Equalizer Podcast. Episode 45 of the Equalizer podcast. It is Super Bowl Monday. We know most of you probably are a little tired, maybe stayed home from work after the big game. So glad you decided to start it by listening to the podcast. The usual three back uh, in the regular spots. I'm Dan Lawletta. I've got Chelsea Bush and Claire Watkins. And we will begin today with news of a team not relocating, but still a fairly significant move. Seattle Rain FC are now Rain FC, and they will play their home games in Tacoma in a baseball stadium for at least the next two seasons, hopefully a new and small-scale soccer-only venue starting in 2021. But until ground breaks, you never know how that goes. Uh, as usual, this was something that uh, got people who follow women's soccer a little bit fired up on social media, both sides of the equation. As usual, there was not much middle ground. Um, I don't have a lot of experience in that area, so it's hard for me to say. I do know that the rain were on their last legs at Memorial Stadium for reasons that had nothing to do with them. So they had to find a solution. So I think there are more positives than negatives to this and, and the way it worked out. Just jump right in. Yeah, I, I think Memorial, I mean, it, it had a certain charm to it. And, you know, was was in the middle of the city and maybe had some some historic attachment, sentimental attachment to it. But they it just wasn't going to work. It was not a great place. There were, you know, TV issues. Um, you know, it, it sucks to see them leave the, the city proper. Uh, but I think this is a plus all over the across the board for them. Well, Seattle's kind of an interesting scenario, too. I, I when I was kind of watching it all unfold, I was obviously kind of thinking about how the rain are in a similar position to Chicago as one of the more prominent, you know, last independents left. Um, and Seattle as a location also presented some similar issues in that, um, you know, it's, it's a concentrated area. There aren't, uh, as far as I know, any major soccer specific stadiums, obviously the Seattle Sounders even share their venue with the Seahawks. So, um, options within the city were complicated. Also, the idea of Memorial being renovated was complicated, as as I understand it. Um, Memorial was owned by the school, the local school system, and there and in that there are some very specific rules as to what could be done with that location. So I'm sure that 
obviously best case scenario would be if there was a way for Memorial to be turned into something better than it is right now in that same location. Cause that location is amazing, but um, short term, there's nothing the rain was, was going to be able to do to stay there and kind of see that happen. So I, I also am not even disappointed is the wrong word. I guess I, I wish there was some, you know, magical scenario where they could have stayed in the city but i also think in a lot of ways this was the right move um though it'll the the tenor of it will be a little bit different though won't it just even with the branding um taking seattle out of the name um the specificity of kind of that cascadia rivalry is just a tiny bit different now because the rain are playing out of tacoma um obviously more partnerships i i think we're pretty pro partnership here so the fact that um the Tacoma baseball team was interested and wanted to invest is great. And I think for the rain's long-term help, it's awesome. But yeah, I, I wonder if, you know, if we're talking five, 10 years down the road, maybe there might be a way for them to find their way back to Seattle. But Claire, I think you make a pretty good point when you say it's good for the long-term health, because this is, I think where we really need to focus is that because in the NWSL, we've seen kind of maybe a growing gap between the haves and the have nots. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the have-nots are the independent clubs. Not always. It's not cut and dry. But I, I think they're they're making some partnerships to establish themselves, you know, kind of in this mid-ground where they're still like they're in an, an independent club, but they have these, these longer-term partnerships with maybe investor groups with some deeper pockets um, and creating some, some ties somewhere that they can maybe find a long-lasting home. It would be nice to maybe see them return to Seattle down the road. But I think for the NWSL itself and for the rain specifically that this is something that that's just going to strengthen them and make continue to, to have them able to compete with basically clubs with, with more resources, because that's a lot of what, what it comes down to. I also yeah, think, Oh, go ahead, Dan. No, I was just going to say, I think the partnerships are really important. And for those who don't know, it's the Tacoma Rainiers baseball team bought into the rain and also Adrian Hanauer. And I believe his wife has said, uh, we'll independently invest in the club on a monthly basis. And that's really important because we're, you know, it's, we're currently in a league where you've got nine teams and everybody has their ownership group. But if you take away the MLS teams and look at the independents, you don't know that there will always be an owner when something goes down. You know, the Seahawks just lost their owner, Paul Allen, this year. I, it's, I think it's pretty certain that somebody, you know, if his family doesn't want that team, will come along by that team and keep it in Seattle. There's no guarantee on that at, at teams at the NWSL level. So I think it's important, just beyond the resources even, to branch out beyond Bill and Teresa Predmore as the owners, because at some point they won't be able to own that team anymore, and then what happens? And the teams need to be a lot bigger before we can just rely on uh, the cities to do whatever they can to keep them there. But, yeah, nobody wants another Boston. Right, exactly. Yeah, I, I also think, I also, and this is this is just me, and this is, speculatory and I want but I do wonder sometimes if even just pulling pulling the team out of a larger metropolitan area that is kind of sports crowded and moving it into a smaller community where they might have a little bit more specific support um, is also interesting to me I think um, in general you talk about Boston I think sometimes these NWSL teams do struggle a little bit when it comes to presence in these towns that have a lot of other major sports activity. Um, not to say that I don't think that an NWSL team can succeed, but I think 
Um, in a way, I'm also excited to see how obviously the rain will, you know, keep the, kind of their Seattle roots and that fan base, I hope will follow them there, but also just to see what they can do in Tacoma and in that area, because I think that, um, you have a little bit more space for some, you know, uh, grassroots support if you're in a little bit of a, of, of an area where you perhaps are the premier kind of team. I could not agree with that statement more. Yeah. I think leagues like this need to be in some cases in cities where they can be on the back page mm-hmm. where every little thing that the NWSL team does matters. I don't know. Again, I don't know the relationship between Seattle and Tacoma. They're obviously different cities. They share an airport. They're not that far. So I don't know if Tacoma sports get swallowed up by Seattle or not. But I can tell you that I've lived in New York all my life. And we can look at the New York Liberty, the New York Red Bulls, NYCFC. They all have their little niche. But in terms of what people in New York care about in general, when you walk out on the street, nobody cares about any of those teams. They've all been successful. They've all been, well, NYCFC is kind of new, but the other two have been around multiple decades. The Liberty were in four of the first six WNBA finals. Granted, they lost them all, but that got them exactly zero attention more than they would have gotten if they had lost every game they had played those six years. Mm-hmm. The only concern I do have, though, is you mentioned the soccer-specific stadium. I'm pretty sure the capacity for that, as intended, is only a little over 5,000, which to me seems a little bit small if they do want to be ambitious with attendance growth there. Now, obviously, the raid in Seattle were not threatening that number. They weren't threatening 5,000, but um, I'm interested to see it does kind of put a cap on your proposed growth but wouldn't it be exciting if you had a team whether it was 5,000 or 50,000 that sold out all the games yeah so a kid goes to school and they say what are you doing this weekend oh I'm going to the rain game and the answer isn't oh what's that the answer is how'd you get tickets right yeah totally you know like make it a big deal and because you can always expand but I think it would be kind of cool if you got a, a situation like with the Portland Timbers, where there's a waiting list that's years deep. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's obviously a pipe dream right now for the women, but I think it would be cool if you had a scenario where tickets were hard to come by. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's like, that kind of brings up a point that probably the one thing I don't like about this is I, I hate seeing soccer in a baseball stadium. It yeah. just looks weird yeah. and funky, and, and it just doesn't. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to see it. I'll be grateful to see the rain on TV from their, you know, their home field, uh, but I, I don't want to. I don't want to see that. So I, I think I'm with Dan on this one. You know, the NWSL I think doesn't want to look too short-sighted, but I think there's a mid-ground, and I think 5,000 is what every team not named Portland and possibly Utah, though that hasn't been proven to be uh, long-lasting yet. Uh, is what they need to aim for. I think that's a, that's a good number to hit week after week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what those games. I know there are some. I know they've already played some USL games in that. In uh, was it Cheney Cheney Field? Um, yep, Sounders and, too. They get rebranded with this announcement play uh, there. Right. So and so there is. If 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 uh, if fans really want to kind of dig in and see what it's going to be looking like, I think on YouTube you can find the, some USL games that have been played there, so you'll see what you'll be looking at on TV. But at least it is a filmable stadium. Obviously, that was one of the issues that the rain had last year was that they couldn't get any of their home games on TV, which to talk about, God, you know, 
for investors and for the ownership group too. That's terrible. That's revenue that's being, you know, taken off the table. So, um, I think that that aspect of it is also incredibly important. Just the, the relationship to the team, to, uh, the television audience. And let's also not forget that, uh, sporting Kansas city, one of the great, or really the great turnaround story in major league soccer. They went to a baseball stadium for a few years before sporting park was done. I don't think we're getting, to that level, but if it's a means to an end, I think we can live with it for a couple of years, maybe three years. And how interesting that you know Memorial was such a great home field advantage. We all know they didn't lose there the first two years, but the last game now that they'll have played there, they gave up the equalizing goal in stoppage time to the Courage, and had they not, they would have clinched a home playoff game, and the Lifetime crew would have had to figure out had to broadcast a semifinal there because they, you know, two years, they never, I think they went to every other place, maybe not Boston that first year, but they, they did go to your sack mm-hmm. in 2017. So kind of interesting that that great home field advantage there let them down there at the very end. Yeah. Either you two, go ahead. I was just going to say it is, I think that is the story of Memorial is definitely one that I know that we've put out some stuff about it this week, which is, is good because it was definitely as much kind of a living being uh, as basically any other venue um, in the league. Have either of you two been there? I have been there, but not to a game there. Okay. I went there when I, I went to Seattle for work and somebody was uh, practicing on the field, some men's team. And so I just ignored the sign that said, do not enter and kind of just wandered around for a while. <laughs> um, so I've not been to a game there, but I have I have been to Memorial. Yeah, no, I uh, I've never been, and I, I did say I said I can't believe I'm never going to see the rain play at Memorial. Wow, it's a that's yeah. a real chapter that's closing, but for I good reason. Out, I went out, yeah, I went out there for the final, but the final had to be moved. It was a music festival, so I got as close as I could without pulling a Chelsea and barging <laughs> into the music festival without a ticket. Uh, I what well, what I think is a good sign for the league is that when the rain got to Memorial, it was a real plus, you know, they were moving downtown. They were going to scrub the uh, the football lines, which they didn't do perfectly, but it didn't, I don't think it disrupted people watching it on the stream or when other networks were there before lifetime. And now they're moving out and it's also a good thing. Like they kind of outgrew it. So I think it's a decent commentary that the league has taken at least a baby step forward between 2014 and 2019. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Rain FC. No more Seattle. Rain FC. They are moving to Tacoma. Effective immediately. They will play at a baseball field, Cheney Stadium. Looks like the seating, though, is going to be kind of by one end zone. Sky blue, actually, way, way back. Their first two games ever were in a baseball stadium back in WPS, and they were not ideal seats or ideal views. Um so we'll see, but because right it doesn't look like there's any seats other than the standard seats. Do we know if they bring in bleachers or anything for soccer games, or is it just? I do not. Know. Yeah, I have no idea. We'll yeah. just, I guess, yeah. have to see. <laughs> All right. So Rango to Tacoma, uh, not a relocation. Same ownership group with some additions, and I think they'll be a pretty fun team to watch this year as well. So. Um, Dan, Chelsea, and Claire will come back to more women's soccer talk on episode 45 of the Equalizer podcast.
segment two, episode 45, Equalizer podcast. Dan with Chelsea and Claire. And both Chelsea and Claire are much more in tune with the W League over in Australia than I. But their season sort of came to an end on Saturday. There will be a makeup game on Tuesday. But Melbourne Victory won the Premiership, which is our version of the Shield. Brisbane, Sydney, and Perth Glory got into the finals, which is what they call our playoffs. And that leaves Melbourne City, who had been in the league three years and won the title all three times, out of the playoffs on goal difference. Also, Adelaide, Newcastle, Canberra, and Western Sydney. Now, Canberra has to play Melbourne Victory in what should be a very awkward match on Tuesday because Melbourne Victory is also clinched first place. and They've got to go to Canberra to make that game up. Sam Kerr did win the uh, golden boot with 13 goals. So she's now the reigning golden boot winner in two different leagues, the all-time leading scorer in two different leagues, and she'll try her luck in the playoffs. So it looks like I think it's Perth and Melbourne victory in the one semi. Chelsea, Claire, you guys watch this league a little bit more than me. Um, it's obviously not to the level of NWSL, but there's some good stuff in a lot of our players in that league. Yeah, I honestly, and I, I tweeted this, I, I was surprised by victory winning the, the premiership. I, I knew they were going to be improved this season, but I did not see them taking it. And, and they were fairly close um, to, to kind of what North Carolina did in that they, they took the number one spot in week three and held it until the very end with, with the exception of week one, which they dropped to second place. So they, they jumped to the top of the board pretty quickly and kind of held on. I did not see that coming at all. I knew the other three were going to be pretty good. Um, and I, if there was for a while, I thought Adelaide had a pretty good run of it and, and was in the mix. Um, but yeah, I, I did not see a victory doing what they did. So kudos to them for kind of turning them around because they were not a good squad um, as a fairly recently. Uh, City, you know, you mentioned this is the first time they haven't made the finals. Also, the first season they haven't had uh, Jess Fishlock. Mm. So right. coincidence or not, I'm just saying um, they. The last couple, I think the last two years, they'd kind of snuck into the finals there at the very end and then went on to win a championship. But they could not quite, they, they looked like they were making a late run for it, uh, just couldn't quite, couldn't quite do it for them. Yeah, I think um, I, I keep, I, I go back to our, you know, the podcast where we did the W League preview and it does kind of, it, it seems like the usual suspects for the most part, but you're right. The big surprise really is, is the victory, especially, you know, going on to, to win the, win the league first in the uh, process of making the playoffs. But yeah, the finals should be pretty great. All of those teams are well, pretty well stacked um, and have different kind of strengths and weaknesses. I mean, um, obviously, Perth is a real shootout team. They score a ton of goals, and they also tend to let in quite a few. Um, Sydney is Sydney is is solid, but I think sometimes they struggle to score. Um, I haven't seen. I haven't. This is this is my bad. I haven't seen as much of the victory or, or Brisbane, but um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Good teams. Now, is twelve games enough? Do you feel to? sort the teams appropriately. That's half of what we're playing now in NWSL. And granted, there haven't been a lot of late-season rallies in the league here. They get into the playoffs, I guess, Orlando in 17 is the one exception. But is 12 games really enough to fit? You know, that means they don't even play everybody twice. 
to really say that the victory were the best team or that you've got the four best teams in the in the finals? No, I, I don't. Uh, that's that's kind of been a common complaint about the W League season is how short it is. And it's just it's works you well have for to us, get, though. Yeah, true. And I, I think that's that's part of it. They had actually I know some of the Matildas players had asked them to move the dates a little bit so that would the season would actually end earlier. Um, but they didn't want to move up the beginning because they had so many players coming from NWSL. They would either be without a handful of players or they would these players would not get any sort of a break. So they, they declined to do that. So it is kind of a between a rock and a hard place if you want to continue to not only have the, the Australians play in both leagues, but have so many imports from the U.S. Um, I don't think 12 is, is enough, though. I'd love to see them get to just even just a flat out home and away with each team. It kind of reminds me of the WNBA here where everybody knows the season needs to be longer, but in order to accommodate players going overseas and fitting their schedules where they make more money, they keep the season on the shorter side. Yeah, I think I don't watch WNBA, but that, that sounds I think that's where they are. It's, it's kind of like, what are you what are you going to do unless they can make it, you know, a pure you know, kind of like the European seasons where it kind of runs close to year round, which they're just not in a, a position to do yet. They're going to have to accommodate those players, not only playing in WSL, but they have some that go and play in, in Norway and some of the other le- uh, leagues that run opposite to their season. Now I'm looking at Kerr leading the league with 13 goals, Dowie, Natasha Dowie, who's not in the NWSL, but has been with nine. And then also on nine, Caitlin Ford and Veronica Latsko, both players who have, and do play in NWSL. Uh, can we expect either of those two to possibly have that much of a goal-scoring impact? Because Latsko scored some big goals, but I wouldn't call her a goal scorer. And Ford's a great player, but I don't think of her as a goal scorer either. Could that change for either one of those two? Ford kind of, of course, she was also coming back from injury too. And I think she just kind of exploded. And hers came in big chunks, though. She had a, ten, she had a couple of multi-goal games. Um, so... Mm, I'm gonna say no in NWSL. Um, Ford, I think is is she's gonna be playing a different role in Portland, and, and there's gonna be other people that are probably gonna score more than than her. Although I think they could, they would certainly appreciate her scoring a couple more goals. Um, let's go. Yeah, I just don't see her scoring that level in NWSL. Kind of similar to Rachel Hill. She's, you know, obviously not as many with five, but she does pretty pretty well in the W League, but has not found that same consistency for Orlando I think I mean I think it's hard to tell with Ford again because she was coming off of injury last year it's also going to be difficult to tell just because we still don't know how much any of those players are going to be playing with their club teams Um, and this goes into kind of a larger we'll probably get more into this as we enter NWSL preseason but with a team like the Thorns It'll be really interesting to see what their approach is offensively because obviously last year a lot of their goal scoring came from the midfield, but that midfield core isn't going to be there a ton. Um, And part of the reason that that was happening was because they they maybe weren't getting the support from, you know, their front line. Uh, But if you have a healthy Caitlin Ford, maybe you integrate her more and try to get her to to become more of that goal-scoring threat for you. So um, I think the Thorns are really interesting, but that's maybe a conversation for another day. Yeah, but that's a good point, though, because I like you look go back to Latsko, like Houston's not going to have Rich, probably not going to have Rich Hull daily for for a big chunk of their season. So that opens up opportunities for these players to maybe 
become the goal scorers that their teams need that they maybe wouldn't get as much as many minutes otherwise. Now, can Kerr, Kerr's got 13 goals in 11 games because he missed one. Um, can any can we get to a 25 goal score in NWSL? I know that's a stretch because we've never even gotten to 20. The record is 17. I think, and I know mm, defenses aren't as good. You'd have to have first of all, you'd have to have a player play every game, which yeah, yeah, won't happen this year. Won't happen this year, right? Um, and yeah, I think Kerr could do it. I mean, that's the thing where Sam Kerr hasn't hit her ceiling yet. Um, she'd have to continue to improve, but I think. I think part of it, yeah, it's just circumstance. I think you'd have to have a striker who um, plays in every game either because it's not an international year or they don't get hurt. Um, And I think it would take maybe more teams, an expansion year, something like that, where you have where the player pool is spread out a little bit more. Um, But I think it's possible for sure. Yeah, I I don't know. I think it's a ways down the road. I don't see that. I don't even see twenty. I think Kerr was so Kerr was so good two years ago and only had seventeen. I say only because we're talking about a bigger number. I mean, you really would have to be really good and really lucky, yeah, and play on the right team. I don't think it's impossible, but I wouldn't count on it. I'd like to see twenty though. I think 20. you'd have to have some some bad teams too where they could really rack up those braces and then throw in a hat trick or something. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think you would have to have expansion. I think it would have to be where defenses are spread a little bit more thin and uh, you have more, you play more games even. You have more opportunities to, uh, to yeah, to break defenses down. Now, anybody in the league that is going to be playing in NWSL stand out to either of you? Or we could just jump right into how to where to look at right back. We've done that. A little bit, but anybody <laughs> under the radar that we think we should look at is that that could surprise based on having a good Australia run. I think we've I mean, we've already mentioned her, but I think let's go. I think it was interesting that she she did fairly well at Houston. Um, seemed to do pretty well over there. I was not someone coming out of college. I thought was going to score as much as she did or, or get as much playing time as she did. Um, I think also mentioned, but. Um, I think uh, Rachel Hill had a very, has had a very good season with Perth. And um, I think she's interesting, too, in sort of the mystery of what the Pride are going to look like this year um, in that it's clear that Rachel Hill can really succeed when she's playing with good connectors. Um, and it's that kind of connecting play that Orlando really, really struggled with. So um, <laughs> part of it we'll see if, if Orlando can kind of get its act together, but she could have a good year, too. And yeah, no Ellie, move, so she'll get more playing time right off the bat because of that. Right. Yeah. Ellie Carpenter, um, she tends to play higher up the pitch for Canberra. So it's always, obviously, she'll be one of the ones missing time with Portland. But it'd be interesting to see if they ever take the opportunity to use her that way. Because I, I think, I don't, I've never quite made up my mind if I prefer her higher up or not, but she does pr- fairly well there. I think I prefer her higher up. I think. Maybe I haven't made yeah, up my she's, mind. She's either. got some decision making issues that can really hurt her out outside back. Um, but that just may be a maturity t- thing, too. How about Naren? Because I feel like Christine Naren is a type of player that can really dominate a game, but she can also go games at a time where you don't even remember that she's in them. Yeah, that's yeah, where I, think, I haven't seen enough of the victory to comment. I think she's, she's done well, but I think she's always done well in Australia. 
um, she she doesn't have quite as much of the consistency issues over there. And I think that's probably reflected in the different level of play. But I do think she was a big part of the victory's run. Um, so she'll need to be she'll need to be really well for Orlando this year. Um, Danny Weatherholt, someone else. Mm-hmm. That was was yeah. you know. I thought Danny Weatherholt had a pretty good season for Orlando last year too. So she's another True. one that it's you think about Orlando's depth. You know they've got more there maybe than uh, than well obviously than they were utilizing last year. Just goes to show yep. that they still had a pretty good roster. One of the more underrated players in the league, I think, Danny Weatherholt. Mm-hmm. We'll see what they can do. Orlando, Washington, the two teams that just so far underachieved. It's going to be real interesting to see what they do. All right, we managed to squeeze an entire segment out of discussing the W League. In case you missed it, Melbourne Victory win the Premiership. They'll be joined in the finals by Brisbane, Sydney. And Perth Glory three-time champion Melbourne City on the outside looking in due to goal difference. We'll do one more segment for you on this Super Bowl Monday. We'll take your questions and maybe talk a little U.S. women's national team. This is episode 45 of the Equalizer podcast. Third and final segment of the Equalizer podcast on the Super Bowl Monday. I wonder who won the Super Bowl, Rams or Patriots? What do we think? Anyone want to put their after-the-fact predictions out there? Man, I hope it's the Rams. (laughs) I don't know. I'm comfortably living in the past right now, so we'll see what happens in the future. (laughs) In the minority, but I kind of hope that it is the Patriots. But we'll see. All right, questions and answers, hashtag EQZpod. Send them in anytime. We'll try to get to them as we can on the podcast each week. And that is, of course, via Twitter. And uh, I'll take the first one from Turn Back of the Clock. Any updates on the bombshell roster news Dan mentioned back on New Year's Eve? Still in the works, dead in the water, or already happened? Uh, I did cover this on Twitter, actually, a couple of days ago. But here's the here's the story. The When a player comes off the allocation list, they have to be offered some sort of a contract and agree to it in order to stay with the club they were with. If not, then that player goes through the DRO, the distribution ranking order. And if nobody picks them up that way, then they become a discovery player. So what happened was one of the players who will not be allocated in 2019, who was allocated in 2018, they couldn't come to a contract agreement due to cap issues. And that player was set to be waived. And when I say set to be waived, I mean, literally it was, happening then at the very last minute the 11th hour whatever you want to call it the club realized that there is a little bit of a stipulation based on how many allocated players are on each team and cap relief and things like that and they were able to pull it back so it never happened so that's on me i guess for tweeting it the tease a little bit ahead of time but there is a player that came off the allocated list that was supposed to be waived and wasn't, if we ever get the allocated list, perhaps I'll say the name of this player, but uh, the big bombshell roster news, I fully admit, not happening. So, guys, throw some egg on my face or whatever you guys want to do here. I don't know. Those rules are incredibly confusing, so I don't, <laughs> to a certain extent, I, it's uh, if the teams don't know the rules, then I think it's hard to, uh, to put too much blame on you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point. Very good point. All right, Brandon Holmes. Paul Riley just tweeted, and this is like 
an hour or two before we record this Sunday afternoon. But there will be some news in the next 48 hours that will make the squad stronger. Give me your wildest, all in caps, speculation. My wildest speculation is like Pernil Harder, but that's not that's not what it is. Come on, give us some wild speculation. Our wildest speculation? Wildest speculation. Uh, Nani and Nadim is going to come back to, to the NWSL and not play for Portland. There you go. That's wild. <laughs> uh, I it, I'm just trying to think of good good wild speculation. Um, uh, oh no, I'm failing. I just uh, keep. How about the the? About I just Miley have the trades are bony. Yeah, right. They're they're gonna they're gonna give Crystal Dunn to Portland for Portland's first natural draft pick in 2021. There you go. Oh. <laughs> There you go. I don't know if I've ever said this on the pod, by the way, but when I used to go to all the, when Paul was coaching the New York Fury and WPSL Elite, and I went to all those games, and it was kind of funny because they would beat, it was four like semi pro teams and four amateur teams, and they would beat an amateur team like four nothing. And I would go up to him after the game and say, What did you think? And he would say, We were absolutely dreadful. Like, <laughs> you know, like we, like we should have beat them like 10 nothing. But he would, every single game, he would go into this thing about how these are the four teams that are going to be in the playoffs, and I think McCall's or Boney should be the MVP of the league. And he, Boney wasn't even on his team at that point. She was playing for the Flash. and he. But since that moment, at least, he has been obsessed with McCall's or Boney. They finally got together. Hasn't it been great how good he's made her and how good she's made him at the same time? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, if she makes the World Cup team, that is, that is something... That, that they're going to struggle to replace. I don't think you can. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, they dominated the, in the playoffs without her. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know what? That's fair. <laughs> I kind of forgot about that. I mean, I, I agree, but I mean, they they that also has Portland. Sam. They also have Sam Mewis when they did that. Yeah, yeah. And true. they're also having the, the the playoff momentum and and kind of that thing. So I think an extended World Cup break without Sam Mewis, without Abby Urseg, Abby Dahlkipper, etc., is is a bigger deal for them. That's it's a whole other issue for North Carolina, though. Yeah, Urseg played every minute last year. That's not happening again. Because now and that she she's was damn good, Taylor, she was yeah like, best. Def- I mean, I think she deservedly won Defender of the Year. But what do they like? Seriously, what do they need? A backup keeper and some backup center backs. Right, That's about it. Really, it. I mean, you can always get deeper with midfielders and whatnot, but yeah, I mean, I think they're like, could Kurtz and King be their backup, be their center back pairing during the Ooh, World Cup? That is risky. It's a stiff drop, but a lot of teams are going to be dealing with that. No, it, it is going to, this is intriguing to me mostly just because I just doubt that North Carolina wants to give anything up right now. So either. It's the kind of, you know, rummage sale deal that people are making with teams like Sky Blue where they're giving picks in exchange for um, player rights. Or, it, yeah, it might be a player who hasn't played in the league for a while. Um, there are some keepers out there that uh, might be interested. Who knows? Well, LeBay had the story came out on the Canadian Olympic site and said she'll play in NWSL in 2019. Mm-hmm. I guess it could be her. Where else would? Because where else would she go? I mean, maybe Sky Blue, but that would be weird. Washington or maybe could use a keeper. I don't think she's going back there. 
Right. Yeah, I don't even with Gabara gone, I don't I don't see that. But it it doesn't it makes sense that it would be LeBay, but it doesn't make sense for her because I feel like she's gonna give herself the exact same situation that she left in Washington. She needs to be playing and then why is someone gonna walk onto the team when he Paul O'Reilly has a goalkeeper that he likes that is good. good. I don't see that happening. And it'd be weird too because D'Angelo basically left because she wanted to play. And mm-hmm. that's the yeah. you know, that that's LeBay's competition to play and for Canada. LeBay is going to be leaving for the World Cup. So That's true, and Caitlin Rowland is not. Yeah, so it doesn't make any sense that she would be the starter there or really frankly anywhere else unless there's some other bombshell news that Dan has not teased us about <laughs> that some other keepers leaving there somewhere. Is, I, there is, I don't have it. <laughs> Cuz most teams are too deep. At the keeper spot. Right. I mean, not that LeBay, yeah. I mean, LeBay's then, probably better than like Britt Eckerstrom, but I don't know that you're going to bring in a player going to the World Cup for something like that. Yeah, I think teams are going to be adding, some teams are going to be adding keepers to have that third keeper with the extended rosters, but it's not going to be Steph LeBay. That's not, she's not a third keeper. No, and she's not an expanded roster keeper because there's a good chance she won't be there. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so. I, I don't know. It, it'll be maybe that's, you know, maybe that's what it is, and it's just makes the most sense, and therefore that's the deal that's getting done. But yeah, I, uh, it, it, that, well, the base story is just interesting on its own because, as you said, I'm sure she does want to play in the NWSL getting ready for the World Cup, but also it's the, de- it's the deepest position in the league. So, um, mm. it's a tough spot to be in. And maybe right. she, sorry, no, nope, I was gonna show. say, maybe she, she figures that training. In the NWSL, even if she's not getting game time, is is better than nothing. But I cannot imagine there are not clubs in Europe that would sign Steph Bay, which is where she's been playing. Which I, th- that's no way that's the case. Yeah, I agree. Maybe there is some other news we, that we don't know about. Somebody's injured, pregnant, not coming back. You never know. League is not big on giving us info. Rainmaster, I'm sure you'll discuss it, but is the move or the minority ownership a bigger story? for Rain FC. Uh, again, I think it's the minority ownership because you can always move back or move somewhere else. I think it's important to get more people invested in this thing. I also think just having more investors, it just kind of adds to the conversation. You know, your friends know you're invested. Like it's just, it's just more of a way to get more people involved in the, in the league. Yeah. I think the more, yeah, the more spread out the ownership bases, the, the better. Wouldn't be a podcast without discussing Sky Blue, so my pride or die says, sincere question. I'm glad this one is sincere. Most of the other ones probably aren't. Please explain how the rain had to find different stadium to meet standards set by NWSL, yet Sky Blue continue to operate unchallenged by the league. Are there things happening behind the scenes that the average fans are unaware of? Um, To start, to repeat, yeah, there's always things happening behind the scenes that the average fan is unaware of um i i don't the league didn't chase the rain out of memorial stadium yeah the turf wasn't up to par but they were going to play there this season the reason the rain had to leave memorial is because memorial's being torn down and possibly renovated they were originally not even going to be allowed to play there in 2019 and it was a pretty big exhale when they made the arrangement that they could play there in 2019 now i'm not justifying anything that goes on at sky blue I know that they were supposed to get the showers and the locker room problem fixed within two years. It's going on year six. I don't have really a lot to say about this. I do know that the 30-day window expires on Saturday, 
So there will be a lot of eyes on Sky Blue this week. Yeah, I think the news is that there's no news. <laughs> Pretty much. But, you know, the, the other thing is that you got to realize that, you know, these are not, the franchises are not where we want them to be necessarily. So you are going to have to make some exceptions and give some waivers every now and again. You know, whether the, you know, whether it's the right or wrong thing to give any particular one, I don't know, but I don't know. I did see that Carly Lloyd was profiled on uh, skybluefc.com this week. Kind of like, um, do we just going to ignore everything going on and just do a random profile of our captain? Kind of weird. Yeah, they uh, they don't seem super concerned. I mean, yeah, they just they're not concerned about the optics at all. Clearly, um, which almost in a way makes me less hopeful that there's going to be significant change. Uh, the longer they pretend that you know there aren't issues to be dealt with, um, they you know to a certain extent just uh, ignoring the problem publicly makes me a little bit concerned that we're not going to see a lot of change this year. Yeah, that feels good. It feels very on brand for both Sky Blue and Carly Lloyd. I was gonna say, if you're one of like 15 players requesting a trade, and your captain just does a, "Hey, yeah, I, you know, I, I just do my thing, and you know, hope the club does well." That's, I don't know, that does that strikes me as a situation that may be worsening instead of getting better. Mm-hmm. Last one. This is from last week, which we missed. Gen uh, G O. Will we see anyone other than Alex and Carly in the number nine spot during the World Cup? Ooh. Yeah, that's Not interesting, isn't it? Significantly. If we do, I think it's going to be like cameo minutes. I think it's interesting because I, I would say after the last two friendlies, with Kristen Press having success out wide, that. I don't think she's in the running for a backup nine spot at all anymore. I think if they're putting her in, she's going to be out wide. Um, which is crazy. Yeah. Which you're is, absolutely right, but I think it's absolutely crazy. Yeah, and it's just kind of funny that we got out of these friendlies with fewer options as backup nines than more of them. So um, if Morgan can't play, then who starts there? Uh, that's a really good question. Well, that will depend on whether or not they bring Jessica McDonald, I guess. Because I think press is still on the depth chart. Yeah. I'm not saying that you're wrong because I think she, you know, these two game little series tend to go a long way. So I think Press might be a wide player now. I, I don't think that Ellis knows the answer to that. I don't think because she's very clearly, to me, she's made it clear that Carly is her backup number nine. But like as the backup, like okay, when Alex needs a little bit of a break, we'll put her in. But I don't. She very clearly also does not see Carly as a starter anymore. So that's there's like this gap there. I think she'd be hesitant to, if there's a significant, a big injury to Alex Morgan, to play Carly Lloyd at starting at the number spot, nine spot game after game. Yeah, so there's... Ella, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, if a little genie came over to Jill Ellis and said, pick one player that you, uh, you, you know, guarantee won't get injured and will play well at the World Cup, then is it Morgan? Is it Sauerbrunn? Oh, that's tough. It's well, either... Is it Ertz? No, I, I think it's either Rapino or Morgan. I think it should be Sauerbrunn. But well, Sauerbrunn's better than those two, but is she more replaceable? Well, I, I mean... Get, that, that, well, I, I was just going to say, the, the thing about that, though, is is as we saw in the France game, 
if Alex Morgan's not getting any support, there's not a whole lot she can do. So I would also say, true. um, I, I'm in, I also, I'm concerned about the lack of depth at the nine spot, but I think that that is probably just not where Jill is most concerned just because, um, if the midfield isn't working, there's not Alex Morgan gets kind of stuck out there. So I don't, I don't know. I think it, I think it would be Julie Ertz. I think that that's the person that you really, not only, not only because I think that she's centrally more, less replaceable, but also because she is someone who has been dealing with some lingering injuries. So if you could put a, you know, glass case around her, I think Jill would. Is it Nair? Oh, that's especially if especially if it's oh. late on. If, if we're at the World Cup, if it's Nair today, then you can make the case that maybe you get Franch enough games, or I don't think Harris should be number the second string. Right. You get her enough games, but if it's right on top of the World Cup, could it be Nair? I think Alice, yeah, would have absolutely no idea what to. I mean, she would know what to do. Obviously, she has an order, but I think that's something she doesn't even like contemplate. At least something any of us contemplate. Yeah, it's not a great sign that there are so many. Necess- like necessary players to the roster. Um, you could but see a lot what, of different ways what, it could go wrong. Isn't that what we saw kind of when they were in Europe these last couple of games is when they don't really have their A squad, they're they're not... I mean, it's always going to be a step down from A squad to B squad. That's why they're A and B. But it was a little, to me, concerning how easily France was like, hey, this isn't your A squad, and just kind of demolished it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, valid. All valid. Hopefully... With the, Number one goalkeeper in goal. You're Jill Ellis. You and hope, yeah, I hope you don't have to answer these questions between now and July 7th, which everybody hopes will be the U.S. playing in the World Cup final for the second, no, third year in a row in mm-hmm. the final. Trying to win two in a row. That's going to do it for the Equalizer podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show on the Super Bowl Monday. For Chelsea Bush and Claire Watkins, I'm Dan Lawletta. You've been listening to episode 45 of the Equalizer podcast. Thank you for listening to the Equalizer podcast. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts and do not necessarily represent those of Equalizer soccer. We thank you for listening and hope to see you next time.